Welcome to the Beeson Podcast coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University. Now your hosts, Doug Sweeney and Kristen Padilla. Welcome to the Beeson Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Sweeney, here with my co-host, Kristen Padilla. And today on the show, we have a guest with us who's come all the way from Chicago. She has just preached a wonderful sermon in Hodges Chapel and spoken to a couple groups of students here on campus. We are glad to have her with us. Before we introduce her, let me say just a word about a couple of events to which you and your friends are warmly invited. First, our Conger Lectures on Preaching will take place March 21 through March 23. That's a Tuesday through a Thursday. Dr. Scott Gibson of Truett Seminary will be our speaker. He will speak at 11 o'clock on each of those days and at 12.15 over lunch on Wednesday, March 22nd. And second, our final Thriving Pastors Threads event will take place on Monday, March 27. Matt Mason, senior pastor of the church at Brook Hills, will give a talk at that event entitled, Use Your Words, Teaching, and Counseling for the Care of Souls. All these events are free. Find out more and register at beesondivinity.com slash events. All right, Kristen, who do we have with us on the show today? Thanks, Doug. We have a friend of mine who uh, I met in person for the first time uh, yesterday, but we met several years ago online, and her name is Tara Beth Leach. Uh, Reverend Tara Beth Leach is the new senior pastor of Good Shepherd Church in Naperville, Illinois, uh, right outside of Chicago. She is married to Jeff, and they have two boys. She is the author of several books. Her most recent book is called Radiant Church, Restoring the Credibility of Our Witness. She has a book for empowering women in ministry. She's working, I don't know if you know this, Doug, but she's working on a preaching commentary with Lynn Kohick um, on Ephesians. And so she's very busy, has a wonderful ministry, and we're glad you're with us, Tara Beth. Welcome. Thanks for having me. What a thrill to be with the students uh, today at Beeson Seminary. Hmm. We've loved having you here, and I know I just gave a bio, but we always like to ask our guests to introduce themselves more fully. So tell us more about you and where you're from. Yeah, so I am a Chicagoan through and through. I've uh, lived in Los Angeles some, I've, I've lived in upstate New York some, but Chicago is, is, my, is my blood. Um, I am a pastor, local church pastor. Um, my passion is building up the local church uh, through teaching and preaching and shepherding and seeing the church look beyond the four walls, uh, seeing the church realize that our call is not to be insular only, but that yes, we are a gathered people and that we are also a sent one. Um, next to pastoring, as you mentioned, you know, I do do some writing and speaking, but for me, it's, it's um, about the local church first. I always say I'm a pastor who I've happened to do, have done some writing. Um, and I'm a mom. That's a big part of my life. I have two boys, the loves, absolute loves of my life. Uh, Noah is 11 years old and Caleb is 13 years old. And just this last weekend I was preaching and I was telling a little bit about my family and my, my boys were watching online and 
I later FaceTimed my son in between one of the four services, and he said, Mom, why didn't you tell them that I'm a swimmer? You should have told them that I'm a swimmer. <laughs> so now, from now on, whenever I introduce my boys, you should know that my 11-year-old Noah is a swimmer and a great one. Way to go, Noah. Yes. All right, Mom, so tell us about your call to pastoral ministry. When did you figure out the Lord was leading you into pastoral ministry, and what has your ministry journey looked like so far? So my call to pastoral ministry um, began really as a call to ministry. I, I never could have imagined myself as a pastor when I was called because I had never seen a woman do that. Um, I just wanted to tell the world about Jesus. I grew up in a family of more cultural Christians. Um, we went to church on Christmas and Easter. Um, I've heard pastors call that Christers. And, uh, but we were, we, we were culturally Christian, but we had no language for what it meant to follow Jesus or walk with Jesus. Until I was a teenager, I started to come in contact with other students that loved Jesus and talked about Jesus in ways that was so peculiar to me that I eventually did um, start walking with Jesus. And when I was 16 years old, I had this very dramatic call into ministry where it was just this, you know, one minute I had, it wasn't even on my radar. And a minute later, all of a sudden, it was boom, I just had this call. Um, and for me, the call was all about telling the world about Jesus. Jesus had so dramatically changed my life. Um, I mean, after becoming a Christian, I, you know, um, one morning I saw the world in black and white and the next morning the world was in color. One morning I never heard the birds sing and the next morning the birds were singing. I mean, that's that was the type of conversion experience that I had. And What, what happened there, by the way? Were yeah. you by yourself and just all I of a sudden? Was. Or what, what was it that occasioned this mm -hmm. change? Yeah, so the Youth for Christ leader um, that had been coming alongside of me uh, told me to start reading my Bible. And I thought, maybe if I start reading scriptures, I will learn about this Jesus that all these students in my high school are bearing witness to. And so I started to read the Bible. I would come home from school every day after um, swim practice and then doing my homework and eating dinner, I would run up to my room and I would start to read the Bible. And I, would, I started reading Genesis and Exodus, which as a teenager was incredibly exciting. Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, that got a little confusing and dry at times. Uh, but then eventually I got to the Gospels and I read Matthew, Mark, and then I read Luke. And Luke was such a profound book for me. It was when everything started to align and make sense. And when I got to the story of the cross, I was alone in my room and I was overcome. And I got down on my knees next to my bed, just weeping, weeping, weeping. And I thought, okay, I think I'm supposed to say something to Jesus for my gratitude. And the only words that could come out of my mouth were, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And tears were just rolling down my face. And it was it was that moment that I looked back to. I'd, when that was happening, I don't know if I would have said, I'm converted. Um, but I look back at that as, as the pivotal moment where everything aligned and made sense. And truly, I did wake up the next morning. And I, I mean, I was one of those kids that I was really telling everyone. I was telling my family. I was, um, I was telling my friends. I uh, would invite as many kids as I could. Every Monday, we had Campus Life Outreach. I would walk through the hallways and just be passing out flyers. And then I would follow up with kids and I would go and I'd pick them up at their home. And I had this little Toyota RAV4 that I was driving. And 
I would illegally pack like 11, 13 kids in it. We'd be, they'd get in the hatchback and because I wanted to, them to come and hear about Jesus. And, and so all of my call to ministry was directly related to that experience of encountering such a loving and gracious God. And I could not imagine my life like without that anymore. And I couldn't imagine or bear the idea of anyone living their lives without that. And so I just felt compelled. So when you went to Olivet Nazarene, that's right, right for college, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. were you thinking already, maybe this will just naturally lead for me to a full-time ministry role, or it was too early for that for you? It was too early. So I, it, I definitely did not think pastor. I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to be on the highways and the byways. <laughs> I wanted to get a bus and just travel. And like, I, you know, I started hearing about Billy Graham and I thought, I'm going to do that because like he has the greatest opportunity to tell as many people about Jesus as he can. Um, and then I heard about John Wesley, you know, and these early, you know, awakening revivals that were happening where they were setting up tents and riding on horses. I, that, that to me is where I wanted to be. I wanted to be on the front lines of seeing conversions happen. Pastoring to me just seems so insular. I, when I looked at churches, and you've you got to understand that I became a Christian through the ministry of Youth for Christ. And in many ways, that became my church as a teenager. Um, yes, I know it's a parachurch. Yes, I know it's not a church. But for me at that time, because that was, that was my life. I was at Monday night, Monday night campus life outreach, Thursday night student leaders doing all the extra stuff, doing all the trips, and that was my life. And I looked at churches and I thought, well, they're not seeing conversions. Like people aren't being led to Jesus in the same ways. And so I don't want to do that. And so for me, when I went to Albert Nazarene University, I majored in youth ministry uh, because then I thought, well, I'll be on the front lines of telling the world about Jesus that had changed my life. And of course, I think God has matured me some through the years and I understand the purpose of the church. Obviously, I love the church. But I it wasn't until being out of college for a couple of years that I, I had a change of heart. And a lot of that had everything to do with the gifts that mentors were pointing out at me and me wanting to use and steward those gifts. And so a lot of people were, you know, coming alongside me, you really have a gift to teach and preach, Terabeth. And I really wanted spaces to do that. Like I just had this burning, burning desire to preach. I would preach in front of my mirror. There was one time my girlfriends and I were uh, driving down the road. I grew up in, you know, the the country with cornfields and we were listening to the song, uh, My Redeemer Lives by Nicole C. Mullen. And we were worshiping and I pulled over the car and we turned up the music and we were worshiping and I grabbed my Bible and I started to preach to the cornfields. Cause it was just in, like, I just had to, like I just was gonna explode. And so um, I wanted to preach. And so I became a youth pastor. Um, and while I was youth pastoring, I started just to develop such a love for the local church that has never gone away. I wonder if you could talk about navigating ministry as a woman and and then how that led to your your book Emboldened. And that book was how I came to know who you were. And 
um, started uh, following your ministry, but it's called Embolden, a vision for empowering women in ministry. So I guess first, just about your own journey as a woman in ministry, and then what led you to write this book to want to embolden other women for ministry? Yeah, so I really struggled with having any category um, or framework or imagination for women in ministry. I just knew, again, like I, I just knew what I felt led to do. Um, but early on, I started to realize, like it really started to impact me and my imagination, how, especially once I got out of college and I got into the church world, and I started to realize that there were more barriers. And I started to realize that people didn't think I should be preaching. And I started to realize that I was looked at differently. I started to realize that I was treated less than my brothers who were in ministry. I started to realize that my brothers were getting opportunities that I wasn't, um, and on and on and on. And I, I, I was looking around and I would see all these women that absolutely had gifts, but they weren't getting roles in churches. And at around 2008, a denominational, denominational leader posted a, a post on Facebook about the lack of women in ministry and why. And he gave all of these reasons that the reason why there aren't women in ministry is because they're at home, they have duties at home. Even though, you know, he, he said, I'm affirming of women in ministry, but, you know, there's just complications that, that keep them. And he put it back on the women as though it's their problem. It was in that moment that I just realized, oh, they don't, they're not getting it. Like they don't get that actually they are part of a system that is perpetuating um, the sidelining and marginalization of women. And, and when I mean sidelining and marginalization, I don't mean it in the same ways that we sometimes hear when it comes to like social structures per se, but more that and the idea that Carolyn Custis James talks about that when women are held back in the church, the church limps along. Women have been held back. And I believe that when women and men are serving alongside of one another, using their gifts, that we see greater flourishing within the church and within the kingdom. And so it was around 2008 that it was, again, I just started to be able to see like, what what are these things that are causing this this imbalance that we have. And again, it was never about equality for me. It wasn't about pushing this this idea of, you know, like a, a feminist framework, for example. For me, the framework I've always worked off of is a biblical one. For me, women in ministry is biblical and it's old school. And so I'm not working off of a worldly framework. And so when I began to talk about this and write about this, it was because I cared about the mission of the church. I wanted to see the church flourish and women not being held back, that half the, ba half the church was being held back. And so that's, that's why I started writing. I started blogging about it first. I'd never set out to write a book. I started blogging about it first and it was getting just all this traction. It was resonating with people. Um, and then I was sitting with a publisher from InterVarsity Press and he said, if you were writing a book today, what would you write? And I outlined all of emboldened in like 20 minutes um, on the spot. And he said, let's do it. And I said, oh, we're going to write a book. Okay. Um, 
And Radiant Church was a little bit similar in some ways. Though it wasn't about gender, it was still about the local church. Like Embolden was written because I wanted to see the church be the church that Jesus believes we can be. Radiant Church was about me wanting to see the church be the church that Jesus believes we can be. And so Radiant was born out of just this um, place of feeling troubled for the state of the church in America. Um, in particular, the evangelical church in America. And I was starting to notice symptoms of the church that were not very becoming of our witness. And that was actually creating a decaying witness that was kind of repelling the world. And that's not our call. As the people of God in Christ, our call is to be an attractive witness. Our call is to be the city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And what I was noticing is the church was, was becoming a city on a hill um, that wasn't hidden, but also wasn't always beautiful. Like it was hypocritical. It was misogynistic. We were seeing racist ways. We were seeing, I mean, we were seeing, you know, many, uh, church leaders, um, begin to hitch their wagons to political parties, um, that were not in line with the kingdom. And then we, then like the people that were leading were beginning to believe things that the kingdom of God can only be inaugurated if a certain political party is in place. That the kingdom of God is going to be um, inaugurated through a political president alone. And I was troubled because I thought, we're not rooted in the right story here, folks. Like we've, we have veered off from the vision that we see in scripture. And so Radiant Church was written for those who are participating in those ways. And, you know, the curtains are being pulled back and we're saying, what, 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 what's happening? What are these symptoms? And I'm saying these symptoms have deep roots and a long history. Let's talk about these. But then I also wrote this book for the people in my generation, millennials, who started walking away from the church and doing this thing called deconstruction. And they're going down a path of deconstructing, 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 deconstructing. And Radiant Church, what I tried to do was point those people to the radiant vision of the church that Jesus talks about. And one of the things I often talked about is, hey, you know, Jesus still believes in us. When Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount, and when Jesus prayed for us in the garden, he didn't like teach these things and pray for these things and then say in 2016 though, like might as well as walk away because it's all going to hell in a handbasket. Jesus still believes in that vision for us and still believes in this master plan in which we are invited to join. And so my hope was restoring just some of that, that hope for those that have lost hope. A lot of our listeners are church people, seminary people who love good preaching, and you're a good preacher with a lot of experience preaching. Tell us a little bit about um, your approach to preaching, your priorities as a preacher, how you prepare to preach. What do you like as a preacher? Yeah. Well, I love the Bible a lot. I really, really, really love Scripture. I am a Bible theology nerd. I love thinking about hermeneutics and context. Um, but when preaching, for me, it's, it's beginning with just the word as itself. 
and reading it and saturating over it and allowing it to take root in my heart, journaling about it, praying over it. And then it's really important for me um, after that to consult many scholars. And so my general rule of thumb is to consult five or more scholars through commentaries uh, for every sermon that I preach. And so commentaries are my like, greatest possession. <laughs> um, like, it's like I could get rid of anything, um, but don't touch my commentaries. Like, those will be with me for the rest of my life. My husband, I'm just moving church offices because I'm, you know, about to lead a new church. And my husband was cursing as he was carrying um, like 26 boxes of books. And um, because there's, I, as a preacher, I stand on the shoulders of scholars that have gone before me and scholars that are, that are doing the work now. And so leaning into them to understand contextual clues and keys um, to unlocking it in such a way that before the congregation that it starts to, they start to see it in color and they start to see it dynamically and they start to see it not flat, but as this, this dynamic um, passage is just so much fun for me. And so, so what I often do is I'll consult scholars, you know, through, through commentaries and do a lot of journaling. And then I start to look, okay, like what's, what's in alignment here? What is, what is, you know, through my reading of the scripture and what is the spirit saying? And what are these scholars conclusion? Like, what's the main thesis of this that is digestible for the people that are going to be listening? And so I'll usually try to write down a main thesis sentence at the top of a Word doc. Um, and then I start looking through all my notes. I'm like, okay, what's it saying here? And so usually what I'll do is I'll try to build it out. You know, So at the top of the sermon, um, I usually try to open it up in such a way that gets people to lean in. Um, I try to open it in such a way where there's a question that demands an answer that only the text can answer. And so whether that's an opening illustration or an opening story um, that kind of creates that hook. And some of this is a little bit of Fred Craddock style as well. Um, and so then, you know, we'll, we'll go into the scripture and allow the scripture to start to kind of paint some life to that. Um, and the scripture will start to answer the question um, as to the one that we're trying to answer. And then we apply it. So how do we, what's this look like for you? What's this look like for us? Um, and so leaning into scholars, um, it's not uncommon for me to quote scholars, um, but also, you know, Scott McKnight once told me, he said, Terabeth, you got to hide, it's, it's so important that you hide your scholarship in the pulpit. Um, you know, you want to be undergirded by scholarship, but you don't want to be flaunting it. You, the, the work of the preacher is to help um, proclaim the scripture in such a way that it cuts to the hearts of the people and that they are inspired to live differently, that they are edified, that they are built up. And so that process usually for me takes a few days. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, it sounds fantastic, but a lot of students listening, a lot of busy pastors think, well, how does she get all that done, you know, in a week leading up to Sunday? What is your routine like? How do you fit all that in? So usually I look at the text sometimes as early as Sunday night or Monday morning. Um, and I read it and 
I'll start like kind of journaling or circling some things and that can be done in 20 minutes. I mean, just sit down for 20 minutes. And I, cause I think sometimes we hear stuff like this and we think oh, that must be gobs of time, but I'm a batch worker. And so, um, meaning like, I, I really care about like when I'm working on something to like find that focus state. And if we can get into like a hyper-focused state, like things actually like don't take as much time as we think it does. And so even that journaling and reflecting and consulting scholars, like that's a couple of hours right there. You know, and so for me, like that happens Monday or Tuesday, um, preferably Monday. Uh, and then, you know, Wednesday is, you know, I might take another hour or two of like, okay, what's, what's the thesis here? And then putting it together is another, another couple of hours, hour or two. And so I think sometimes we just think like it's going to take gobs and gobs of time. I, you know, I understand like having a full schedule very much. And so, um, so blocking the, that prep, prep time in is really important for me. So I have it just blocked as like a standing appointment. Well, we want to encourage our listeners to go to our YouTube channel and find your sermon. It will be easy to find. It will be in our spring 2023 uh, playlist. So we encourage you to go listen to the uh, sermon that she preached in chapel a few hours ago ago called The Kingdom of God is Like. Um, We always like to end these shows by asking our guests what the Lord has been teaching you these days. What has the Lord been doing in your life that would serve as a word of encouragement or edification as we close out the show? What I am learning is that the Spirit is so wildly surprising. And the Spirit is often up to holy mischief that we can't even see or imagine. And one of the things that the Spirit keeps reminding me in that is to look up and to be still. I've gone through, I'm going through a season of major transition that was so wildly unexpected and good that I said would never, ever happen. I'm I'm getting ready to pastor a new church. I told the church no, that I would not go. And God kept doing these things that was just like, okay, what are you doing there? And it was as though God would say, just be still and know that I am God. Look up and be surprised. May that be true for all of us. You have been listening to the Reverend Tara Beth Leach. She is the new senior pastor of Good Shepherd Church in Naperville, Illinois. We are grateful to you for this big gift of time you've given Beeson this week. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me and a joy to sit with you both. Thank you listeners for tuning in. We love you, we're praying for you and we say goodbye for now. been listening to the Beeson Podcast. Our theme music is written and performed by Advent Birmingham of the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama. Our engineer is Rob Willis. Our announcer is Mike Pascarello. Our co-hosts are Doug Sweeney and myself, Kristen Padilla. Please subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at beesondivinity.com slash podcast or on iTunes. Thank you.